welcome to Living Hope Church. We're so thankful you joined us this morning. If your children are ages uh, kindergarten to third grade and are going down for children's church, uh, they can dismiss out the back with Miss Tammy. Um, for those of you who have children that are staying, uh, there's activities on the back table back there that they are free to grab and take to their seat. Um, there's also a sermon notes designed uh, for children that they can use throughout the service and bring to me. Um, afterwards, I'll have a piece of candy for them. Um, so today, we are uh, wrapping up our series uh, with yet another incredible story of God's rescue. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8, if you would like to head that direction. Uh, but before we get there, let me give us a bit of context as we head into this passage. Um, at the very end of Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen is stoned and becomes the first Christian martyr for his faith. Luke then writes that that very day, a great persecution broke out amongst the church. And when that persecution broke out, the people, the church, scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And so what happened is when Jesus rose from the grave and ascended back to heaven, a group of followers formed, but they had remained there in Jerusalem. But as the persecution broke out against the church for their faith, which was undermining the, the Jewish religious stronghold, the church scattered. Verse 4 reads, those who had scattered preached the word everywhere they went. And so God uses this terrible tragedy to disperse the church and spread the hope of God's rescue all over the known world. The other fascinating thing about this, uh, this is that um, the apostles, the leaders of this group, for whatever reason, stayed in Jerusalem, and it was the everyday followers that scattered. And so God uses the tragedy of persecution to spread his name, and he uses everyday followers of Jesus like you and I to proclaim and spread his message all over the world. The gospel is for all, and God desires to use all. And so one of those guys that is dispersed is a guy by the name of Philip. Philip is dispersed to Samaria, and he is seeing incredible things happen in Samaria. He is sharing, he is proclaiming God's rescue story, and people are responding to faith in droves. He is sharing, and people are finding hope, forgiveness, and new life in Jesus. I mean, things are going incredibly well in Samaria. And so God is using Philip and others to proclaim his good news in Samaria. Amongst the Samaritans, who we've heard in the past few weeks, were hated by the Jews. God is moving in the wrong place amongst the wrong people, according to Jewish tradition. Meanwhile, we're about to meet a guy that is searching for God, that is searching for answers. And he is searching where he knows the search. But he's going to be turned away, and instead God's going to meet him right where he is. So we're in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 26. Luke writes in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So God sends an angel to Philip, who is helping to lead this gospel revolution in Samaria, and he calls him to go south on the road, the desert road, to Gaza. As the text says, Gaza is on the road headed towards the desert. Gaza isn't a pleasant place. Scholars describe Gaza at that time as a small, in the middle of nowhere town. It only existed because it had a small spring, and it was the last place to get water before you headed into the desert. Uh, for me, I think like Wamsutter, right? It has a gas station. You might not, know, might not know why Wamsutter exists or what goes on there, but you are thankful at times to see that gas station. So that's Gaza. Gaza was also a Philistine city. Now, you might not know much about the Bible, but you've probably heard of the Philistines, especially one large Philistine named Goliath. Or maybe you've heard of the Philistines and the story of Samson 
Either way, the Philistines were enemies of the Jews, and they hated one another. So Philip is in Samaria, seeing the gospel spread like wildfire, and God calls him to walk an estimated 165 miles to a Philistine city in the desert. Philip gets the call, and it says he got up and he went. Verse 27. So he started out, Philip started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of the Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. So Candace here is not a name, but it's a title like Caesar, president, or queen. And so this Ethiopian eunuch, he's not just a, a, a paper pusher in a, a middle-of-nowhere office somewhere, but he's an important official to the queen. And when you hear Ethiopia, we think of modern maps and boundaries. But in the first century, Ethiopia was a powerful empire that encompassed a huge region south of the Nile. And so this guy is the treasurer. He's in charge of the money for this whole empire. And he was a eunuch, which will be significant as we unpack his story. As a worker in the palace, they ensured that he would be focused on his work and not distracted by other pursuits. Verse 27, it reads, This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? I love this picture here. Philip has walked 165 miles. He's in Gaza, and he sees this chariot go by. It says he ran up next to him. I kind of envision like that. Forrest Gump run up next to the chariot, and then he looks in and just says, hey, what are you reading? Verse 30, then Philip ran up the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So this man lived in Ethiopia where they uh, were religious people, but they worshiped different gods, primarily from nature. And something has changed in his life. It has triggered him to believe that there has to be something greater than nature, perhaps a God that created it all. And so this man uses his resources, his wealth, his job to go to Jerusalem to investigate and to discover if there's a God. But this trip had left him more confused, more hopeless, and yet he's still searching. And in the midst of this all, a guy runs up beside him in the desert and he happily invites him into his chariot in hopes that he might provide some answers and some clarity. Verse 32, this is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Is it himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I love this story because it's the, the living personification of Romans 10. Romans 10, 14 through 15 reads, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, it is our responsibility, like Philip, to go and share and help those around us understand the hope of Jesus. Philip took the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading, and he used it as a launching point to share Jesus with him. And, and when, he, and when uh, the eunuch heard, he believed. God desires and so often uses us, like Philip, to be that bridge, helping people process life, their understanding, and using where they are as a bridge to the true hope of the gospel. 
Verse 36, let's wrap up the story. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you uh, for this, this, this story of faith. Lord, we thank you uh, for this story in which uh, you provide understanding and, and belief in, in, in faith in you. Lord, we thank you that, that you are a God that comes after and pursues the one you pursue uh, the Ethiopian eunuch here, Lord, we thank you that you use us to be sent to share your good news, Lord. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for your good news, that there is hope and there is life and there is rescue in you. So, God, I pray today as we study this passage, you would open just our hearts and our minds to whatever it is you want to call us to or teach us today. God, we thank you that we can trust you, Lord, and we thank you that you love us. It's your name we pray. Amen. So throughout this series, uh, one of the things we've seen over and over is this first point, and that first point is this, that God's rescue pursues the one. Or to put it more personally, God's rescue pursues you and it pursues me. And then we're going to piggyback our second point right on that because they go together, because not only does God's rescue pursue the one, but God sends his followers to share his rescue story. So that's our second point, God sends his followers to share his rescue story. And we see these two points go together throughout this narrative. So Philip has been sent from Jerusalem to Samaria. He is seeing crowds come to faith in Jesus. Things are going incredibly well. There is excitement in the streets. And surely in his heart as he see God, sees God moving. Yet in the midst of that, God calls him away from the excitement to go to the one. God calls him, Philip, his follower, to leave the crowds to walk 165 miles that's a long way down a nasty, deserted middle of, to a nasty, deserted middle of the nowhere town called Gaza. And he calls him to do this because it's an appointment for just one man. God sends his followers as he pursues the one man. I don't know about you, but in my mind, that math doesn't make sense. To leave massive crowds to go after the one. But in God's economy, he is always leaving the masses to pursue the one. God passionately pursues you. Now, he doesn't do that for your glory, but he does that because he loves you, because he desires to rescue you, and he desires to give your life a future and a purpose. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable that illustrates this. Jesus says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing to let any of these little ones, not willing that any of these little ones should perish. God passionately cares and pursues the one. He passionately uh, pursues you and I, and he uses followers like us to share that story. God's rescue story, his love, his grace pursues, it actively comes after the one. And this is so important for us to see because uh, we are one of these two guys. We're either the eunuch searching, looking, wondering what this life is all about, or we're the one already saved but called to go, called to serve, called to love the individuals walking around us each and every day. 
So maybe you're here or you're watching or you're listening online and you are the eunuch in this story. The message for you is that God is pursuing you. Something has happened in your life that has caused you to pause and evaluate eternity, to evaluate God, and you're searching, wondering whether or not God is real and he is trustworthy. Maybe it's an eternal sense that something is not right in your life, that there's got to be more. You go to your job, you come home, you watch TV, you pay your bills, and you look forward to a summer vacation. That's your life just over and over again. And there's something inside you saying, there's got to be more. I have to have been created for more than this. That's God, and that's what the eunuch is processing, and it's sent him searching. So if that's you, let it open your heart to search and to listen to God as well. Or maybe it's been a tragedy in your life or in the life of someone you love that has made you realize that life is fragile, and you're evaluating your eternity and the eternity of your family. Maybe it's a health scare or a health crisis. Whatever it is, God has moved in your life, and you're searching like the eunuch for truth, for hope, for God. My hope is that some of you in this room, and I, and I trust that God has you here for a purpose. My prayer is that you would open your life to the hope, love, and forgiveness that is available in Jesus. God loves you. Your, your life isn't an accident. Your questions aren't an accident. He is passionately pursuing you. That was the eunuch. He knew something was missing, so he had gone all the way to Jerusalem to try and find God. But yet he's returning home more confused than ever. He went to Jerusalem where he, he thought he was supposed to go, and he couldn't find God there. And so God found him. God sent a messenger to him. God didn't just leave him in his confusion, but he sent someone to him to answer his questions and point him towards Jesus. And that messenger is Philip, and Philip is open to God's call, and he walks 165 miles to Gaza. I did some Google Maps work this week, and 165 miles from Green River would be like walking from here to Hannah, Wyoming. Right? That's a long walk to nowhere. And so Philip walks until he sees the chariot, and he chases it down, and he climbs on. And when he climbs in, he asks the eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless someone tells me or someone guides me? And that's Philip's call, his responsibility to guide this eunuch through the scriptures and point him to Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's your call as well. We are called to guide those around us, to point them to Jesus, and to help them understand who Jesus is and the forgiveness he offers. It's not our responsibility to save those around us. That's God's responsibility. But it's our responsibility to point people to Jesus. So our next point is this. Belief comes from understanding God's rescue story. We saw it in that Romans 10 passage. Belief comes from understanding. And so that's this eunuch. He has been searching for answers. He's been searching for God. He traveled all the way to Jerusalem, some 1,300 miles from his home, looking for answers. Yet he's traveling home confused and dismayed when God finds him there in the desert. And the reason the eunuch likely left his heart was this sign that would have met him at the door of the temple. There was a sign at the edge of the outer door of the temple that read this, No lame, no blind, and no eunuch may enter here. This man had went searching, and when he arrives, he was told he was disqualified. He was told he wasn't welcome. He to was told he wasn't good enough. I can't imagine a worse feeling in the world, and I can't imagine what he must have been feeling. So he looked at Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, uh, in this chariot. The man had traveled for weeks, months, only to find out that he was unqualified to know God. Maybe he was ready to give up and move on at this point. 
Maybe he was regretting his decision to sacrifice so much for the queen and for his career. Regretting that his career choices had left him unable to know God. But as we see, these man-made laws and rules are not of God, but instead God pursues us no matter where we are. No matter your past, you are not disqualified from God's love, but instead he pursues you and reveals himself to you where you are. And that moment is coming for the eunuch in the form of Philip. But the truth is there are still some churches and places that do this today. Whether formally or informally, they say to those outside their walls that you have to dress a certain way to enter here. You have to look a certain way to know God. You have to clean yourself up before you can know God. You have to jump through these hoops before you can know God. And there are some like the temple that say to others, you are disqualified to ever know God. Let me be very clear right now. That is not the gospel. That is not Jesus. And that is not the heart of God's rescue story. The gospel is clear that that Jesus gave his life for all. And he is faithful to forgive any and all that will turn and follow after him. There is hope for the eunuch. There is hope for the sinner. There is hope for you and I. And that hope is Jesus. The eunuch is reading Isaiah 53 when Philip approaches him. But just three chapters over in Isaiah 56, we see the hope. Isaiah 56 says, Let the eunuch no longer say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who embrace my covenant. I will give you in my house a name better than the sons and daughters, an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. God proclaims over the eunuch there is a future, a hope for you in my love. Let's pick up in verse 32. Verse 32 says, Now the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. We mentioned it, but this is a quotation from Isaiah 53. And Isaiah, the book of Isaiah was written almost about Jesus almost 800 years before he was ever born. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. He would be wrongfully accused of crimes he did not commit, but would not even open his mouth in defense. And this came true in the gospel. When Jesus stood before Pilate, he was accused of heinous crimes he had not done. We're told he sat there silent, even though he was completely innocent of all that he was accused of. But why didn't Jesus open his mouth and defend himself? Because when you're in court and you make no response, what are you conceding? You're conceding guilt. And Jesus was conceding guilt, but not his own, for he had no guilt. He stood silent because he consented to the guilt of of my sin and of your sin and of the eunuch's sin and of Philip's sin. The Bible tells us Jesus died not for his own sins, but for the sins of the world, paying the price for our sins. He died as a lamb. In the Old Testament, lambs were sacrificial animals. And every year in Israel, the father of a family would take a lamb to the temple and he would lay it on the altar and confess the sins of the family over it. And as he was confessing the sins of the family, the priest would kill the lamb and the lamb would die for the sins of that family as a substitute for their sins. And the Bible says that's exactly what Jesus does for us. The Bible tells us that the wage or the consequence of my sin and your sin is death. The Bible says that's what our sin deserves. But Jesus goes to the cross and he takes my guilt and he dies the death that I deserve to die. He goes to the cross silently, willingly giving his life for the eunuch, for me and for you. Verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? 
Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And that's a great setup for Philip. Philip goes from that passage and says he explains how it's all about Jesus. How the story of the gospel is that Jesus died in my place so that I can experience hope, love, forgiveness, and eternal life in him. He explains that Jesus took the death that I deserve, that the eunuch deserves. In exchange, he offers life, righteousness, and, and eternal life in him. Hymn writer said, like he said, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood, hallelujah, what a savior. God's rescue story that we've looked at these last six weeks or so is all about Jesus. Jesus paid the price, the death that your sin and my sin deserved, and he rises victorious over death on the third day. He is alive and well today in victory, and he offers his life, his victory, eternity with him to any and all that will believe and follow after him. And for the eunuch, he hears this message, and the light bulb goes on. All of this he has been reading, all of the confusion of the trip, the words of Philip lead to understanding. He understands who the prophet Isaiah is talking about. He understands that God loves him, even though he may be disqualified in the eyes of the world, even though he's a sinner. He understands that Jesus loves him and he dies for his sins. And then when the eunuch understands that, he's left with a decision. To embrace and follow Jesus or to ignore and go his own way. And for this eunuch, it's an easy decision. He embraces and he follows Jesus. Understanding in the eunuch's life leads to belief. Philip pointed him to Jesus, answered his questions, and it led to believe. But you see, it's not just enough to hear about Jesus or to understand Jesus. You must believe and put your faith in him. And so the question for us today is, do you understand who Jesus is? Do you understand the good news of Jesus? If you don't, that's all right, but keep asking your questions. Keep pursuing just as the eunuch did. Read the Bible, call me up, call a friend up, schedule lunch, ask your questions. Or on the other hand, maybe you're here and you do understand. You know enough and you're like the eunuch, you're left with a question. Will I turn and follow Jesus and put my faith in him? Or will I go my own way and trust my future, my eternity to my own merit and my own hands? So do you understand the good news? Do you believe the good news? Salvation is a gift, but you have to receive it. Perhaps the best example of this uh, that I know of is the gift card. And if you've been around here, you've heard this illustration before, so bear with me. But when you are given a gift card, the price has already been paid. So when I get a gift card from my mom for my birthday, the price has already been paid. My mom paid the price when she bought the card. But yet when that card just sits in my wallet, it is of no value. It is only of value when I take it out of my wallet and I redeem it at the restaurant or the store. In the same way, the Bible tells us that Jesus has already paid the price for our sins. The Bible says that Jesus loves us and offers us heaven with him, but we must receive or redeem that gift. To just know that I have a gift card in my wallet doesn't redeem its value. And in the same way, just to know of Jesus doesn't save us. But we must believe and put our faith in him to experience his forgiveness in his life. Have you ever taken that step of belief? That step of surrender, of placing your faith in Jesus. Have you ever experienced God's rescue story in your own life? 
If you're here today and you've never taken that step of belief, you understand, you know of Jesus, but you've never believed, then you can do that in your seat today. There's nothing magical about it. There's not six steps to complete. But simply with a surrendered heart, you have to say to God through prayer that I believe that you sent Jesus to live the sinless life I couldn't live. I believe you sent Jesus to die the death my sin deserved. I believe that Jesus rose from the grave and I want to follow him and experience his life the rest of my days. I want to make Jesus Lord, the boss of my life moving forward. The Bible says if you do that, he is faithful to forgive. And that's what the eunuch does when he understands. He understands who Jesus is and what he offers him, and he believes, and he puts his faith in him, and it changes everything. We see that right away in verse 36. It says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the river, and Philip, got, Philip baptized him. And so our next point is this. In God's rescue story, belief leads to obedience. In God's rescue story, belief leads to obedience. And the first step of obedience laid out for followers of Jesus is baptism. Baptism doesn't lead to salvation. It doesn't make you saved. But instead, it's a step of obedience that declares to the world that I I'm a follower of Jesus. Baptism is a sign much like my wedding ring. My wedding ring expresses my allegiance, my love for my wife, Melody. My wedding ring itself does not make me married, but I wear my wedding ring because I am married. And it's a declaration of my marriage. In the same way, the Bible tells us baptism itself doesn't save us, but it declares to the world and to ourselves that our allegiance, our love, and our desire to follow Jesus moving forward. Baptism says to the world, I am with Jesus and I am his follower. Baptism is the first evidence, the first step of obedience that we declare we have surrendered our life to follow Jesus. You've met Jesus, the Lord of your life. You've been saved from death and hell You're supposed to go and show it, the Bible says. You don't experience salvation. Just say, well, that was great. Where do we go for lunch this afternoon? Instead, the Bible says you do something. You show it. You get baptized. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you put your faith in him. Have you ever been baptized? Have you ever taken the step of obedience to declare to the world that you are his? And secondly, have you been baptized after you believed in him? The Bible says that baptism is a, a step of faith after you have believed. It's possible you grew up in a different faith background and you were baptized as an infant. And that might be a time that you treasure, but the Bible describes baptism as something that follows a profession of your own faith, like we saw with the eunuch. When you're baptized as an infant, it is a profession of your parent or your grandparents' faith and their desire to see you know God. And we thank God for faithful parents and grandparents that have led us to Jesus, to faith. But baptism is about your personal faith. Baptism is an opportunity to declare God's faithfulness in your life, his faithful fulfillment of your parents' faith when you were born, and to declare to the world that you are his and you are following after him. And so if that's you and you've not been baptized after uh, you believe, uh, I would love to, to talk with you and answer any questions you have about baptism and help you, help you take that next step. But baptism is a statement of faith, a statement of obedience that you have made Jesus your Lord. And so have you ever done that? Have you ever taken that step of obedience? And if not, are you ready to do that 
uh, today. Are you, we would love to help you do that, to be a part of you taking that next step of faith. So if you'd like to be baptized, you can come and talk with me, or you can uh, mark baptism on your welcome card and put it in the box, and we will contact you. So in God's rescue story, understanding leads to belief, and belief leads to obedience and baptism, and that's what we see in the life of the eunuch. The next thing we see in the eunuch's life is the transformation that comes from following Jesus. When you choose to follow Jesus, you cannot remain the same, but instead your life will be changed. It will be transformed. And so that's our next point. God's rescue story always leads to life change. The eunuch comes to faith in Jesus, and he is transformed. He is immediately obedient in baptism, and then it says Philip's taken away, and he rejoices in his new faith. He becomes a new person. When you come to faith in Jesus, your life should look different. You should be constantly transformed by the Spirit of God, displaying the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, through 23, Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul says if we are followers of Jesus, then we should be being transformed into the things of God. And we can test this by looking at Galatians 5 and walking through it. We can know God is working in our life and we see that life change happening. Am I more loving than I was five years ago when I came to faith? Am I more kind than I was 10 years ago when I came to faith? Am, if, am I more faithful, gentle, and self-controlled than I was three years ago? The answer is yes, and you can see and celebrate God's faithfulness and his life change. If the answer is no, then you have to evaluate your relationship with God and evaluate uh, those areas of need that you need to trust and surrender to him. One of the fascinating things about this story is that Philip baptizes the eunuch, and then it says God takes him away. Philip doesn't spend the next two years mentoring the eunuch, but in a flash, he is gone. It says the eunuch goes on his way rejoicing in his faith. I think in the Western world, we have at times, we have embraced this lie that we have to be matured to a certain point before God can ever use us. But we're going to see with the eunuch, that's simply not true. And in Western Christianity, we have placed the onus or the responsibility of our maturation on other people instead of trusting God and trusting the Holy Spirit and surrendering to Him in the Scriptures. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with mentors, with Bible studies, with Sunday school, or any of that, but we are not dependent on other people to mature in our faith. Instead, our maturation, our growth is dependent on God. And it is our responsibility to learn the Word, to pray, to turn to God moment by moment and surrender our lives. And when we do that, He is faithful to humble us, mature us, and make us more like Him. Now, this obviously doesn't mean we, don't, we stop going to church and we do it all on our own. The author of Hebrews addresses this in Hebrews 10 as he calls us to spur one another and to not forsake gathering together. The church, the community of believers is so important in this because it keeps us grounded. It points us back to the Bible. It makes sure we're not diverting from proper understanding. It's a place that allows people to speak into our lives and, and to speak truth into our blind spots. Church is a place to have our questions answered, a place to grow together. But we bear that primary responsibility to be matured in our faith. We can't just pass the buck and blame others for our lack of growth. But the reality is to grow in Christ, we don't need another program or a new mentor, but we need God. We need a willingness to listen and surrender, to develop patterns in our life where we are regularly in relationship with him 
through prayer and his word. We have to commit to taking accountability for our own faith. And we do this by reading the word, by, by coming to church and hearing the word, by doing what we know to be true, by listening to voices in our life that speak life and truth. God desires to mature you and transform your life, but you have to commit to him and commit to the process to join the Holy Spirit in the process of transformation. And when you do, God is faithful to make you more like him. And this is so important, not just for your faith, but it's important because of the impact you have on others. God desires to use you to reach your children, to reach your family, your neighborhood, your city, your coworkers with God's rescue story. The reality is you can't pour into others if you are not first experiencing God's transformation in your own life. We've had a crazy few years, and it has been easier than ever to slide God down our list of priorities. But my call and my encouragement to you is for the sake of your faith, your future, your family, and your sphere of influence, would you commit or, or commit to reprioritizing your relationship with God and allowing him to begin transforming your life? Because the reality is God has great plans, a great future for you. And that's what we see with this, with this Ethiopian eunuch. So understanding leads to belief. Belief leads to obedience. Obedience leads to transformation. And transformation leads to the spread of God's rescue story. And so our final point today is this. God desires to use you or me to share his rescue story. God desires to use you to share his rescue story. And I love this because it gives my life and your life a purpose with eternal significance. We no longer just live for the weekend or for summer vacation, but we have a purpose that can change other people's eternities. Look at this. The ancient historian Eusebius tells us that this eunuch and his band of servants went on to plant the first church in Africa. The gospel spreads to Africa in the form of one man, but it doesn't just stay with one man. But instead, it spreads as this man shares the hope he has in his hometown and in his nation. I like to believe that the gospel likely spread before the eunuch even made it home. Gaza was still some, uh, some 1,100 miles from home when he met Philip. And it says he went on, on home rejoicing. And it's my belief that many in this caravan came to faith before they made it home. And they were a part of this first church on the continent of Africa. This man is saved and he immediately shares that hope with others. The same is true of us. God has saved us. He has saved you, not just for yourself, but he has saved you to be a witness, a messenger of the hope of Jesus with others. The call to salvation, the commission and the service of the Great Commission happen at the same moment. There is no gap between the call to follow Jesus and the call to be his witness. I heard it described like this. God is like a cyclone. He never pulls you in without then instantaneously sending you back out. God has saved you, and now he is sending you back to share that hope with others. There are people walking around you each and every day that love you, that, that know you, that trust you, that listen to you, and you are called to be Philip in their life, pointing them to Jesus, helping them understand the hope of the gospel available in him. So my call for you is to be faithful to share, faithful to be Philip in their life, Will you be faithful to surrender, to share the hope of the gospel with those around you, with those you love? Will you pray that God will save those around you and be faithful to open your mouth and help them understand? 
If you're a follower of Jesus, my call for you, my encouragement for you is to ask the Lord to bring people to your life and to your mind. And then when the opportunities come, be faithful to share. We've seen it over and over in this series, but God's desire for your life isn't just to rescue you. He desires to save you, to transform your life for the better, and that he desires to use you to share his rescue story with those around you. The Great Commission to share Jesus isn't just for the missionaries or the pastors, but it's for ordinary followers of Jesus just like you and I. So as Melinda comes, she's going to come and she's going to play. As she plays, we're just going to bow our heads and take a few moments to reflect on God's rescue story, to reflect on who we are and what God is calling us to in his word. In the Ethiopian's life, we see a progression. When he understood who Jesus was, it led to belief. When he believed, it led to obedience. When he obeyed, it led to transformation. And that transformation led him to immediately go and share the good news with all he met. And as he shared, many lives were changed. And the first church was planted on the continent of Africa. So where are you in this story, in this progression? Maybe you're here or you're watching online and you're the eunuch. And you don't quite understand who Jesus is or or what he's all about. And so your step, your call is just to keep searching. Keep trying to understand who Jesus is. Keep talking. Keep asking your questions. Keep reading the Bible, discovering who Jesus is. Or maybe you're here today and you understand. You know who Jesus is. You know why he came. You know why he died. And you've got to decide, do I believe or do I just know? So have you ever surrendered and believed? Maybe today's the day or the time that you surrender your life and follow him. Or maybe you have believed, and and the question is, have you obeyed in that first step of baptism? Maybe you believed a a long time ago or or sometime in the last month, and you need to uh, take that first step of obedience and be baptized. Come and talk to me, and we'll schedule a time to be baptized in front of your friends and family. Maybe you have done that, but you need to commit to allowing Jesus to transform your life. Taking steps to, to take in his word and let it transform your life. And maybe you're here and you just need to be obedient to go and share. Understanding leads to belief. Belief leads to obedience. Obedience leads to transformation and transformation leads us to share. So where are you in that story? I'm going to pray for us. Then Melinda's going to play. And she plays. I just ask you to bow your head for a moment or two and just ask God, where are you in this story? And what is he calling you to do to obey? Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that uh, through Jesus there is life available. We thank you that there is forgiveness of our sins and that none are disqualified from that forgiveness. God, I pray that if there's people here or or watching that are are struggling with understanding who you are, God, I pray that you would reveal uh, your truth and your goodness to them, that you would reveal the life available in you. And God, I pray if there's some here or watching that understand who you are, Lord, and they're trying to decide, do I believe or not? God, I pray that you would, again, reveal yourself and give them the courage to to dive in and to believe in you. And God, I pray for those of us that do believe that you would help us to obey. That we'd be faithful to obey uh, first through the step of uh, baptism. And then we'd be faithful to obey by, by, by following you and by, by reading your word and by gathering and by learning about you and letting that transform our lives. And then, God, I pray that we'd be faithful to obey by sharing your hope with others. 
But I love this story where it took a man from confusion and, and from doubt to, to understanding, to belief. God, and that you transformed his life and that he, he would go on to found and start that first church uh, in Ethiopia. What an amazing uh, just progression and an amazing uh, example of the call that you have on each of our lives. To understand, to believe, to obey, and to share. God, I pray that we would be a people uh, that follow you and your call in our lives. God, we thank you so much for who you are and for your love for us. In your name we pray. Lord, we once again just thank you uh, for your rescue in our life. And God, I pray that uh, for each of us here, Lord, that you would just continue to uh, reveal yourself and transform our lives this week. Uh, Lord, and we just thank you uh, for the life and the future that's available in you. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we just have just a few announcements uh, this morning. First of all, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card. Uh, somewhere in the area of you, if you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing it in the box on the back table, uh, we'd appreciate it. That's also where you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your uh, church home. Uh, and in terms of announcements, there is a, a new summer children's church and nursery schedule on the back table. Uh, you can grab one of those on the way out. If you are not on there and would like to serve in that ministry, you can talk with Melody and she would uh, gladly find a spot for you uh, on there. Uh, in terms of announcements, youth group meets uh, Wednesday night here at the church from 6 to 7. If you have questions about that, you can see uh, Justin. And then uh, in terms of small group and kids night, we have transitioned kind of, kind of our summer schedule. So those will both have ended for the season and will resume uh, next fall. Um, so if you have questions about that, you can come and see me and I can answer those for you. So thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, we pray and hope you have a wonderful week and we hope to see you again next week.